That'll make it a little more stable, I think. Okay. So the third fact on lamenting is that God expects us to lament. Romans 8, 22 to 23. So he knows that we're going to, he knows when sin came into the world that there's going to be a lot of pain, heartache, all those types of things. And so there is an expectation that we will. Eight, Romans eight twenty two to 23, it says, For we know that the whole creation, that's the whole creation, believers, unbelievers alike, has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who are followers of Christ, who are believers in God, we also... Okay, so we, we are the, the spirits of the first, of the, as the first fruits. We also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We know that there's something good to come, and that's heaven. And we're looking forward to that. But until then, we groan because this, this world has its trials. It has its difficulties. And there are times in your life where you're going to say, this stinks. This life is hard. And I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I don't understand why it's so hard. I don't understand why these things keep happening. I don't understand why the things in the past have happened or anything like that. And so we cry out to God because we know that this is not the way it's supposed to be. We groan. Four elements of lament. I want to go over that. You can call this cat, but you've got two C's with it. So I have C2, A, T, but you can kind of do it however you want to uh, as a way to maybe remember it. But I want to go through four different elements that you're going to see in this psalm itself, Psalm 142, and then uh, you'll see it in a lot of psalms throughout the whole book. So the first element to lamenting is calling out to God, and it's an intense cry for help. Okay, it's, it's not just, uh, hey, God, are you there? It's more of a crying out, like, a, like I'm in a, a state where I have to cry out to God. I have nowhere else to turn. That's the idea behind it. So it's this intense cry for help, and it's continuous cry for distress. So it's not just a one-time thing like, hey, God, can you please do this? And then that's just a supplication. That's a petition, a request before God. But this is, this is where you are just driven to the point where you are continually crying out to Him, pouring out to Him, laying it before Him continuously. That's the idea behind calling out to God in lament. The second piece the second C is complain. Verses 3 to 4, you're going to see this in Psalm 142. We may complain about our own inadequacy, our own weakness, or something along those lines. And then we may complain about those who hurt us. And that's what David does here. He complains about those who are outside and the enemies that are kind of crushing in and have the pressure and, and are pushing on him. And he's saying that these are the, the people that I want to get away from. And I want you to deal with, God. It hurts. And, and, and here he's being chased for his life. And so you can complain about your own weaknesses, which he does here, and you can complain about those who hurt you, and then you can complain about being alone. I think that's the one that probably resonates with us the most in this passage. Because all of us, to some extent, feel alone at times. And it's amazing, you know, how each of us, we can have family around us, we can have a church around us. We can have friends around us. We could be married. We can have kids. We can have all those things and people around us, and yet we can still feel so alone. Why don't people understand what I'm going through? And those types of things. We ask those questions. So we can make our complaint known to God. And then thirdly, we ask. 
We ask for help with the hurt because we don't know all these things we feel inside, the hurt, the pain, the things that are causing it. We want, we want help with it. We want freedom from it. We want to get away from it. And so we ask for help. And then we ask for the freedom to praise God because oftentimes when uh, the, the, the hard times of life, the trials and the struggles and all those things begin to build, it's hard to praise God. And here, very specifically, David cries out to God, and he says, God, I'm, I'm hiding in a cave. And the reason I'm hiding in a cave is because somebody's after my life, and I can't go out and, and publicly praise you anymore. And we know in our own lives that that can happen as well, where we get to a point where we feel like the pressure has, has grown so much that we can't praise God. All we can do is focus on that pressure, that pain, that heartache, that trial. And so we ask for freedom from it. And then the last part is we trust. And this is the part that, like I said earlier, I think only Christians can really do, only followers of Christ can really do. You see, everybody can call out to God. They can say, well, if you really exist, God, will you do this? And everybody can complain to God. In fact, we're really good at that, right? We can blame God. We can complain to God. We can do all those types of things. And everybody can ask, well, if you're really there, here's my problem, and will you fix it? But only those who have a relationship with God can truly trust and say things like, I know God has this. I know God's got this. I know God is powerful. I know He's just. I know He's good. And even though I don't understand it in the midst of this pain and heartache and trial, I know He's good. And only those who know Christ can really say God is generous and there is a better outcome. Maybe that's heaven for whatever you're going through. Or maybe there's something a few years down the road that God brings into your life. Maybe it's something that just happens a few hours later. But whatever it may be, God is generous. And He's generous enough just even to listen to our laments. So those are the four elements. I wanted to go through those first. So as we go through Psalm 142, you'll be able to see it more being played out. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you will guide us and teach us as we go through this passage together. We want it to be a passage that we learn from, and it's a great example of how we can approach you in our time of trial and need. We want to lament, but we want to do it in a healthy way. God, we have plenty of of things that we struggle with, whether they're small, whether they're big, whether it's just an ongoing issue or whether it's uh, something that's tragic. We come to you because we don't always know how to handle these situations. And we don't always understand why they're there. But we trust you with them still the same. So help us to, uh, to see what David has to say here. And Lord, may it challenge us as we think about our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Psalm 142, it starts off, and in your Bibles, if you're following along, you might have a heading. A lot of them will include this heading. This is actually in the text, the original text, so they, they include it. But they'll give it a title, and this one is A Maskell of David. Now, if you're a maskell, you're like, what in the world is that? So the idea behind a maskell is that it's, it's contemplative. You're, you're having this contemplative prayer. You're thinking through it. And that's what David is saying here. So he's, he's writing this as something to think through. And that's a, what a lot of lamenting is. Like, here's what I'm struggling with, God. I'm calling out to you. I'm asking you for help. I'm thinking through it. But in the end, ultimately, I'm trusting you with it. And it also tells us that this is when he was in a cave. And so if we know a little bit about David's history and that at a point in time, he was running from King Saul. Saul had, uh, had his, basically God's hands removed from him. And, and so Saul uh, was, was a king before David, uh, but didn't follow the Lord. And so God says, hey, I'm going to take the kingship away from you and I'm going to give it to David. 
And David already knew that to some extent, or excuse me, Saul already knew that. So Saul was already pursuing David's life to take him. And there was oftentimes where David was running from Saul and Saul was trying to kill him. Well, this is one of those times when he was, was in the cave and he was hiding from Saul. And so he offers this prayer. And here's how he starts. I cry aloud to the Lord. So I make this cry to God. Now, it's interesting when you look at this, this word cry, there's a range of intensity from just simply calling out to God to wailing or shouting out. Like I'm shouting out, I'm wailing, God, please listen to me. Here's my cry to you. That intensity builds if you look, on, or look forward. He says, I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy. That mercy builds the intensity. It's just as if you're begging for the mercies of God or as if you're saying, I know I'm not worthy, but please, please be gracious to me and show mercy. It's like one who's been given a death sentence by the judge, and as they're walking out of the courtroom to pay that death sentence, they're begging for that judge to reconsider. So he's coming before God with this intensity. I cry to you. I plead to you. Please. And then he goes in verse 2. He says, I pour out my complaint before him. And the idea there is that it's, it's like a liquid that would just flow out. So if you get that picture like a cup just hitting the ground and being spread out, that's the idea behind this is that I pour out my complaint. I'm, I'm spewing out, so to speak, my complaint to God. It's just flowing out of my mouth. Now, many of us would argue and say, we're supposed to listen to God, be in His Word, be in prayer, be thoughtful and all of that. But there is a time in our lives when, we're, when things are so difficult, when things are so hard, where we just simply let things go out of our mouths before God. We need to be gracious or be, be thankful, excuse me, grateful that God listens at that time. He doesn't have to. God, our creator, who's already been merciful and gracious to us, doesn't have to listen to our complaints, but he does. Now, I remember a time uh, back earlier on in ministry, and uh, I had a time when I was, I was leaving the church, and just some bad things were happening that week, and uh, my family had... We had taken two cars, and so they had already gone in the other car, and I was just by myself. And for the next 10, hours, 10 minutes, not 10 hours, I didn't live 10 hours away, 10 minutes, uh, I was just kind of spewing out complaints before God. And I remember it. I mean, it was, it's very vivid in my mind. There were times where you're angry. There's times where you're sad. There's times where you're, you're saying, I don't, under, I don't get it, God. I don't understand why these things happen the way they happen. But you're just kind of letting... Go of those things. God didn't deserve it. Absolutely, God doesn't deserve that kind of, of talk to Him, but He's patient to listen. And I'm so grateful that, that He does. I pour out my complaint before Him, David says, and then I reveal my trouble to Him. There could be a, a play on words here. Uh, David could be saying, like, I'm hiding in a cave, but I want to make known my distress, my trials, my struggles, and so I bring them to the forefront. David did have people with him. He had an army with him, his, his mighty men, and they were hiding as well. 
And so he could have told them, hey, this is, this is difficult. And certainly whenever we make our, our struggles and our trials know, we always run the risk of people throwing it back in our faces, right? There could be people, when they find out that we're going through hard times, they could say, well, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you a follower of God? Isn't life supposed to be easier for you? No, that's right. <laughs> but we think that, and people think that, uh, you know, you're a Christian, and you're living in America. You're an American Christian, and life is supposed to be easy for you. And you're like, no, it's not. And as Christians, we still struggle. We still have hard times. We still have this world we're dealing with, and it's mess, and, and everything that's going on. There's trials, and there's stress, and all those things build, and the pressure builds. And so we reveal that to people, and we take the risk but while people may be saying things like, oh, you're God, he must not be real, or why would you still follow him? We can say, I, I do because I believe he is good. I believe he's right. I believe he's just. And we show our trust in the midst of those trials. And that can sometimes be our greatest witness to a world that, that's so confused about what is good and about a God who is, who is loving And that's what David does. So he pours out his complaints. He reveals his trouble to people so others can see it. The one who follows Jesus chooses not to curse God, chooses not to be angry or bitter. They may not understand. They may not get what's going on. But they choose to trust rather than be angry or bitter or upset. Well, verse 3, he goes on, he says, although my spirit is weak within me, you know my way. The spirit is weak. I think the idea here that David is talking about is that he's so overwhelmed that he's starting to turn aside. It's so easy as, as followers of Christ, as people in general, to start to turn to, to comfort. Like the pressures of the world are getting to us, or trial, or tragedy, or whatever, and so we turn to something we think will relieve it in some way, and it's a temporary comfort of some kind. And so he says, my flesh is weak, I'm starting to turn in different directions rather than give my attention to you, God, who deserves it. All of us have vices of some kind, right? Things that we turn to that we think are going to provide us some kind of comfort and hope. And it's not that those things are always wrong, I think the problem is, is that we turn to Him first. And we need some rest and relaxation at times and, and those types of things, but we ought to first be with God and turning to Him. He ought to be the number one thing in our lives, not number 10. Like we try all these other things like, oh, we're not finding any, any real comfort in that. I guess I'll finally turn to God. He ought to be the first one. And so he says, my spirit is weak within me, but you know my way. You know the direction I need to go. And it's along this path. It's along that way of righteousness. That's where I need to go. And that's the place I need to find this, this refuge and this help. So God lays out a path for us. He knows that we need to cling to him, follow him. He's the almighty God, the creator, the one we ought to be in awe of, the one we ought to marvel at. The people have hidden a trap we have, a, we have the flesh to deal with. The flesh is always interested in what the world has, and the world is really good at enticing our flesh. And, and so we have those things that we really enjoy, and oftentimes we turn to that. Then we have Satan, and Satan's whole goal is just to keep us from following God. So he'll use whatever he can to get us off track. And he knows each one of us so well, it's not too hard for him to figure out what those things are. Of course, we have our 
just ourselves, the things that we like, our flesh and what, what it desires. So it's easy for us to get off track. So he cries out to God, my spirit is weak. He goes into verse 4. He says, look, look at me. This is his complaining part. Look and see, I have no right hand man. Now this, this text here says, look to the right and see, no one stands up for me. The concept here is that there's not a right hand man with me. I don't have somebody right alongside who's going to speak in my defense, who's going to be there, who's going to help King Saul, I think specifically in this case, King Saul understand that I'm, I'm not after him. And King Saul had a son, Jonathan, who was really good friends with David. And Jonathan had already gone to King Saul and said, David is not trying to take your throne. He is waiting it out. He's going to see what God's going to do and all those types of things. And Saul even tried to kill his own son. Because he says, you're siding with David. So, so David realizes there's nobody to speak on my defense when it comes to, to King Saul. So I look to the right and I see that no one stands up for me. There is no refuge for me. No one cares about me. And so he points to this fact that he's simply alone. And I think this is the part that we all tend to resonate with. Right? You can feel alone at times. I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. And I don't think anybody else understands why I'm going through what I'm going through. Have you ever felt like that? And people will come and they'll try to encourage us. They'll try to say nice things to us. They'll, they'll put some verses out there. And I think those can be really helpful things. And I'm not trying to downplay that. Absolutely, we need God's Word. We need Scripture. It needs to be, be spoken of. But sometimes all people ever need is just somebody to sit with them and lament with them and cry with them. And sometimes there are no words of comfort, at least not at that moment. Because you feel like it. No one really understands right now what I'm going through. That's what David is talking about here when he says, no one cares about me. I I don't have a right-hand man. I can't find refuge. I can't even find a place that I can flee to, run to, go and feel safe. It seems like wherever you go, the pain, the fear, the hurt, the trial, the responsibilities you have, the bad memory, it follows If such a place existed, a refuge existed, you would easily run there. But experience has already told you that place does not exist, and so you have no safe place, so it seems. So verse 5, then he starts to turn his attention to a pleading and an asking and then trusting. So he goes back to this whole idea of crying out, Lord, I say, you are my shelter. It's a very similar word to the word refuge, except for refuge is the idea of running to someplace. Shelter is the idea of coming to you. Here's your, here's your shelter. I'm bringing it to you right where you're at. It's a place that's familiar. It's a place that's comfortable. It says, here's your shelter, my portion in the land of the living. Verse 6, listen to my cry, for I am very weak. There, that idea of listening to my cry is like, pay attention to my request. It's like when you have a child and they're, they're going around the room and they're crying out, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. And mom's like, oh, stop calling my name. Pay attention, pay attention to me. That's what you're doing before God. Pay attention, please listen. Listen to me, for I'm very weak. We feel like that at times, and we feel like God's not listening. The reason why our kids run around oftentimes and say, Mommy, 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 is because they feel like Mommy's not listening, and sometimes she is ignoring them, right? 
Sometimes God, he's not that he's ignoring us, it's just that he's giving more time. And again, we don't understand why that is. He's listening the whole time. He's there the whole time. He, he hears us the whole time. So we cry out to him, listen, I am very weak. I'm tired. I need help. Rescue me from those who pursue me, from those who are chasing after me, from those who are, are hunting me down. In David's case, for they are too strong for me. He knows, even though he had an army of mighty men, and he would not fight Saul, for one, because Saul was anointed, and he said he would not, he would not go out and fight Saul. But he knew that if, if he was caught by Saul, that Saul would kill him. And so he says, they, they're too strong, they would pursue us, they would overtake us. So listen. And that may be the, the, the way you feel, like the, the burden's so heavy I can't deal with it. And so you cry out to God. Again, that whole idea, you cry out to Him, you cry out to Him, but you keep trusting. Verse 7, he again says, free me from prison so that I can praise your name. This prison there for David was in that cave. He couldn't go out publicly. He couldn't walk the streets of Jerusalem where he wanted to go back. He couldn't go back and hang out with his family because he knew he'd be pursued there. He wanted to go and praise his God. He wanted to go to Jerusalem and praise Him but he couldn't. And that may be the way we feel at times. Like we just can't even function. We can't even go out in the public and be with people. Or when we go out there, we feel like everybody's going to ask us all these questions. I'll get people that will say, I don't know. I don't want to go to church because people are going to ask me questions. They know I'm going through some hard times. We're going to ask questions. It's going to be hard. And it's going to bring up all those emotions. They're going to start talking about it. And you feel like you're a prisoner almost to, to the pain and the hurts. There's heartache there. Free me from that prison so that I can just worship you. I can just praise you. I can just talk to you once again. That's, that's what he's talking about here. But then he moves. He says, the righteous will gather around me because you deal generously with me. There's kind of a, a quick transition that even though he knows he can't just go out publicly and praise God's name, he knows that God is generous and God will deal generously with him. And that's the trust piece. So I don't know if you've noticed all throughout this psalm, it's kind of this back and forth. God, this is where I'm hurting. This is how, it, how difficult life is. This, is. this is the complaining. I'm going to lay it before you. I'm going to ask. And ultimately, I'm going to trust you with those results. Sometimes God, he, he, asks, he answers those questions right away. Sometimes it takes much longer. But he does answer them. He does deal generously with us. He is patient with us. And we can praise him for that. Hebrews 4 14 to 15 gives us a great hope about who our Savior Jesus Christ is. And we really want to turn our attention. So David didn't have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He knew a Messiah was coming, but he didn't know what it looked like. We today know what Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is, and what he did. He died on the cross for our sins, and he rose from the dead. We know that, and we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. One of the things that's so important about our faith, and one of the things that's so meaningful to me, and hopefully to you, is that when we turn to Jesus Christ, we're not turning to someone who just is is a God up there in the heavens and doesn't understand who we are, but we're turning to a God who has come to this earth in the flesh 
and has experienced life like you and I experience it. He grew. He experienced what it was like to change. He experienced what it was like to grow up with other, other kids and be teased and those types of things. He experienced what it was like to work and be in a work environment. He experienced a family life and what that looks like. He experienced the little annoyances like being stung by a bee or bitten by a mosquito. He knew what it was like to have friends that laughed at him. He knew what it was like to be persecuted. He knew what it was like to disappoint mom and dad. Even though he was sinless, he was caught three days late, you know, three days hanging out back at the temple, and they had to go find him. I'm sure they weren't too happy, right? And his response was, well, you should know, and I've been in my father's place. And, um, but he, had, he went through all of that. And then, and then he goes out and he does ministry and he gets, he gets ridiculed. He gets some people that he heals and they're all excited. But then they leave and, and then he goes through and he, he spends hours upon hours with 12 guys. One of them ends up turning them in for some money. And when he was arrested, the other 11, they just all kind of went in the background and ultimately, when Jesus went to the cross, when he was at trial and went to the cross, he was by himself, alone. He knows what all that's like. And so when you read these words, it should have great meaning for us. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. By the way, don't forget, we don't know what happened to Joseph. So he had already lost his earthly father. He had lost best friends. He had already experienced death as well. He was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. He didn't give in to his weaknesses. So we can turn to him with confidence that God understands who we are and what we're dealing with. And that's probably the reason why he lets us complain and is so patient with us. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Christ is coming back, and that'll be an awesome day, and we look forward to that. But until that, we have this, this messy world we're living in, and Christ is going to use the good times and the bad times to make us into the image of His Son. And God the Father is going to use it to make us into the image of His Son. So He's sure of this, that He who started a good work will continue to refine us and will continue to work in us. And the way we do that is by Hebrews 2, 12.2. It says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the one we focus on, the one who has given us eternal life. And that's what we need to keep in our minds and our hearts, is who Christ is. If you ever wonder if God really loves you because you're going through a hard time, remember Romans 5 eight. God proves his own love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. We do not deserve the love of Jesus Christ, but he loves us anyhow. We can't earn it. That's the beauty of it. We cannot earn the love of Jesus Christ. He just gives it to us anyhow. He deals generously with us. So maybe you're lamenting in your life right now, maybe you know people who are going through difficult times. Lament and let God have it all. Come to Him, lay your burden, your, your pain, the trial, 
the tragedy, the struggle that you're having, lay it at his feet and trust him with the results. A few questions we want to end with, let you reflect on and give you an opportunity to respond. One, is there some kind of hurt or pain you have bottled up that you would like to express to God in a healthy way? And by healthy way, I mean by lamenting. Not just complaining to God, but but complaining and trusting. We want to give you the opportunity to respond. And if you want help with that, I'd like to ask that you just take those response cards that you got, that Steve gave you on the way in, and you can write on the back, um, Pastor Ryan, this is something I'm struggling with. You can write to Pastor Luke, the elders. We'll pray with you. We'll reach out to you because we want to help you deal with it in a healthy way. If a third of the Psalms are lamenting psalms. Could it be said that a third of us in this room are lamenting right now? At least? There's some kind of difficulty, tragedy that you're just holding on to. Maybe it's even bottled up inside of you. And you need people to lament with, to cry out to God with. One of the things about lamenting we always need to remember is there aren't, we don't always have answers. There's no easy answer for it, but we can always trust God with it and through it. So maybe you need some help just to sort through it, or maybe you just need somebody to cry with or pray with, then that's what we're here for as a church family. We want to come around and help and pray with you if that's something you're going through right now. Um, Yeah, that's why it didn't work the way I'd hoped it worked. Can you go ahead and cut the music for a moment, and I'll restart that later, since of that. So go ahead and turn that audio back on, and then I'll go forward and give you a couple minutes to reflect on that.